Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to GCP 79 of the Global Captive Podcast hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. I am very excited that in this episode we'll be welcoming back Nick Henstridge, CEO of Captive Resources, one of our friends of the podcast, but also hearing later from his colleague Donna Druith, CFO at CRI, and Aaron Brosnian, president of Kensington Management Group in the Cayman Islands. Donna and Erin were interviewed by our senior reporter Luke Harrison at the Cayman Captive Forum at the end of last year about the different roles of and relationship between CRI and Kensington and how they work closely together on the operation of the group captives. Either side of that discussion, however, Nick and I will reflect on activities in 2022, his view on why and how group captives are most healthy when they grow, and what we can expect from the market segment in 2023. Let's get into our conversation with Nick. So Nick, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the Global Captive Podcast. Thanks, Richard. It's great to be here. Yeah, always good to have you on. I think this must be your third or fourth appearance on GCP, Nick. So we do really love having you on at least once a year. Um, and I'm sure I'll see you in person as well at the Seeker Conference. We At this time of year, we normally kind of do a little bit of a review first of, of the year previously. How has the Captive Resources portfolio of, of group captives grown in the past 12 months? And any areas in particular that you've seen kind of a special or, or, or noteworthy growth? So 2022 was a, a really good year for captive resources. We grew by just about $500 million in 2022 between our casualty book and our medical stop loss book, um, which is right on what our project, our five-year projections are. So we're really pleased with that. Um, we did add a couple new programs, nothing kind of out of the ordinary. So We'll talk about kind of the, the parent-child relationship of some of our programs as, as some of our programs get bigger. But uh, so we added a couple of those and we, we did add another medical stop loss program. So we are continuing to add programs, but really what we're doing is growing the book and the, the captives that we already have established. And that was And that was a really good year for us, 2022 was. One of the services that Captive Resources provides to its group captive clients is kind of assisting the captives to grow. And uh, as you mentioned there, some of the captives you have now have grown to include hundreds of members, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in total premium. Why is it important or you know, why is it necessary for the group captives to grow? Is it kind of part of the raison d'etre? So just to give you a, qu- a couple quick examples, um, our, our largest program, Affinity, is about 400 right at 470 members and about 407 million in premium so really the size of some fairly sizable insurance companies yeah we believe that growth is a good thing in programs we we i've been in business this business for 40 years now and as i was studying in college because i did get my major in insurance the law of large numbers was the the key component of insurance, right? It's it's about bringing people together and spreading risk. And we believe that. Uh, we think there are some real side benefits to growth, control. In a big program, a sizable program, you really do have um, leverage in the marketplace. And that gives the members of that captive control 
to get consistency and predictability in what their insurance program is going to be as they move forward. It does give buying power. We negotiate from a position of strength rather than, you know, hoping that our partners are going to do well by us. Uh, we love our partners, but, um, you know, we want to make sure that we have and we represent the, the, the members of the captive, that they have some say in the marketplace. So that's one thing. We also believe that risk control is the key to the success of a group captive. Lowering losses and making your workplace, the workplace of our captive members, more safe, it, it's a fundamental of our captives and, and the captive model. So we work really hard at that. We are able to bring a lot of assets to bear on that. At CRI, we have just about 60 people who just work in claims and loss control to help our members. We bring outside resources to our members so they can improve and get better. They come in with relatively strong programs, but we make them better uh, and they make themselves better. They share information. And, and, and so we, we feel that that's a really key component of, of continuing to grow and, and become a captive that is looked at um, by the industry positively. Well, I certainly think that last point is 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 the case already, Nick. I think capture resources are certainly looked at positively within our sector. You mentioned there at the start of that answer about uh, affinity. I think having 470 group captive members, is, is there a limit to the, the numbers in a, in a given group captive? Or is there a size you wouldn't go beyond? You know, what, what are the considerations in that regard? So that's a really great question, Richard, and, and one that you know, some people have said, well, you don't want to be part of one of the captive resources, mega captives. And, and I couldn't disagree more with that. I was just at the affinity meeting. It was in the Bahamas last week. Uh, there were over a thousand people at that meeting and we, we took on issues and there were discussions and people had a voice. We keep hearing that, well, if you go into one of these big captives, you don't have a voice. That is just not true. And I think if you asked any of the members of Affinity, they would tell you, well, first of all, they tell me all the time, it's, it's the best business decision they've ever made. Not the best insurance buying decision, the best business decision they've ever made. So, and they feel they have a voice in their ability to control their insurance product. Now, having said that, what we're talking about is logistics and um, how difficult is it to run a big program versus a smaller program? Uh, we do it very successfully. We have a lot of large programs and we have 30 people in our travel department that help make these things run incredibly smoothly. When we do have board meetings, which are twice a year, they are offshore because we are offshore domiciled. With a program like Affinity, it may limit you to the number of places that you can go just because they, you know, they don't fit in every place anymore. Uh, but there's still a lot of different facilities that we can use around the world. So what we've done as we've moved forward, we've kind of picked up on this parent-child relationship, which is when one of our programs gets to around 200 members, we talk to the board members, we see what their appetite is. Many times we will start another program with the same broker network that is not tied to the first program, the parent, in any way other than we're using the same broker network. 
we build that second program, what we'll do with the parent is raise the minimum premium. So we're going after larger accounts now. They may tighten the number of, or the type of account that they're looking for in that parent program. And then we'll open up the second program. And I'll give you a great example of that. Three or four years ago, Presidio had gotten to, which one of our large homogeneous, I'm sorry, heterogeneous captives, had, had gotten over that 200 member number. We started Fortis, which would be, we would consider the child of that parent, Presidio. Uh, in those four years, uh, Presidio has grown to 385 members and Fortis has grown to 190 members. We are now starting to talk about the grandchild of Presidio, the child of Fortis. So we have a way <laughs> of controlling the growth in those programs. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's completely clear. And it's uh, an element of group captives and of your business that I've I've not heard about before. So I do find it generally interesting. I just want to clarify something, Nick, because obviously we also use the term parent in a different right. in a different way in the captive world in terms of a single parent captive being owned by a, a corporation. The, the, the first group captive, the, the parent in this example, doesn't own the child, right? It's just kind of almost, I guess, like a brother-sister relationship as well. Well, and, and it's interesting because we call it a, a number of different things. And that <laughs> we, we've used brother-sister, uh, we've used parent-child, grandchild. No, there is no ownership. There is no no combination in any way of the the first program to the second program other than yeah. we use the same broker network to start the second program and we just point that broker network at smaller accounts to start and then with the second program we build it we build a, a broker network for that program as well so you end up with some of the same brokers and some different brokers in the second program we still think that our, our original programs, Affinity, our biggest programs should continue to grow. Because there is, as, as they become successful, the members become successful, they, they keep their losses lower. Uh, we are seeing premium erosion. And we think it's important that we continue to grow with those programs as well. We're just growing with different types of members, larger members, maybe different classes of members than we originally started with. So. That, that I just want to make sure that's we don't limit the growth of our programs in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Other than we're taking smaller members and moving it to a different program. Yeah, no, that's clear. And obviously, one of the the reasons for the success of these group captives or the factors into their success, which you and I have discussed on the podcast before, and some of your colleagues have been on to discuss before, is is the element of the risk management. And a lot of companies obviously aspire or should be aspiring to to good risk management programs and, and great results. How do you think kind of the group captive member companies that you work with achieve those good or great risk management results? Well, that's I mean, really that's the the key question to the success of a group captive. If, if we were to bring people in and they weren't focused on safety and loss control, then, then they wouldn't be successful. So we're looking for companies that have a risk management program that are committed to safety and, and, and want to get better. And, and so those companies, and they get the fact that if they do that, there's going to be a financial, a positive financial result for them. For, through dividends coming back because of the, their success in, in, in the captive. Once they do come in, we work really hard with them to make them better. 
and and to, to, to improve their safety programs. They work very hard on themselves and they work with their, you know, with their partners in the captive to help one another get better. And it's interesting, okay, in a heterogeneous program, no problem. That that you would think that would be, you know, easy because they're helping companies that they don't really compete with. We have homogeneous captives that we have members who compete directly with one another and they help each other be better companies because they're better members of the captive then. So there's really, you know, the, the, the members of the captive really do embrace the risk reward trade-off, which is they understand they're taking some risk. They might actually pay more in the captive if they have losses that are worse than what we had anticipated. But they also understand that if they do better and they're safer and they have less losses, that there is real reward in that, just like the insurance companies see every day. So all we're really doing is taking the insurance model that's worked for insurance companies for all these years and allowing the insurance buyer to benefit from that model. And it's compelling, right? It's People ask me, well, why does it work? In a normal relationship, I think in the, the, the insurance industry when I started was, the insurance buyer went to their broker and said, I need the lowest price you can get me and you know, kind of pounded on them. It was kind of a, not maybe the most positive relationship. And then the insurance broker went to the insurance company and said, I need the lowest premium you can give me. We change that. We align everybody. We get everybody rowing in the same direction, which is if we all do, the broker, us, the TPAs, the, the risk management folks, if we all do our job, and make the client more safe than they were previously, it's gonna be a great result for everybody. And the members are going to be, love being part of something where that happens. And, and that's what we found. We, we find our members love the fact that they're in a group captive. They love their partners in the group captive and they work very closely to make sure that they're successful, not only individually as a company in the captive, but as the captive, the captive as a whole. Yeah, I mean, as well, even just taking out the the obvious financial benefits of you know better better price premium, just you know well risk managed companies make better companies anyway, right? If you're having less accidents, you know less people issues, you know less whatever the risk may be, it's going to make for a nicer place to work and, and a and a better and more successful company. Uh, no one wants to spend time on those issues anyway. So our, our actuarial firm that we use did a, a project a few years ago to, to kind of compare what happens in a captive versus what happens in the standard market. And there, what they, and this is several years ago, we were not the size we are now. Their conclusion was that there are a number of people, a large number of people that would have been injured or potentially have died that didn't because they were in a group captive because our members take it that much more seriously. So, yes, there is a financial impact, but the most important is making a safe workplace for, for our members and employees so they go home at night. Uh, that, that's the real success of this. 
going back to the growth uh, discussion briefly, Nick, um, how does the growth, you, know, you mentioned obviously Affinity getting to 470 members and you've got other captives, group captives, which are kind of in those high hundred numbers. How does the growth impact kind of the various operational processes for the captives, such as, you know, the underwriting, the onboarding of new members, the customer service? Obviously, you're talking about quite big operations. As you said, you've got kind of got whole logistics teams, right, running these things. So we are right at 6,000 total members in our various captives right now. And and I think that's I think that's where we differentiate ourselves from maybe some of our competitors, which is uh, we're not a broker that kind of dabbles in group captives. And, and there are some people that do a great job, but we're a captive consultant that is hyper focused on making the experience of the people, the members who come into our group captives, a great one. And we've built an infrastructure at Captive Resources that I think is second to none. Um, you know, we have just about 400 people now, and all we focus on is group captives and making the group captive experience a great one. Uh, we'll hire, we hired 60 new people in 2022. We've, we've got another 70 planned in 2023 to make sure that all the things that you talked about, onboarding, customer service, claims, loss control, uh, the underwriting process is all as good or better than it was when we were a billion dollars in premium. Well, we will have more from Nick looking ahead to 2023 in the second half of our conversation. But let's now join my colleague, Luke Harrison, who interviewed Donna Druff, CFO at Captive Resources, and Aaron Brosnian, president of Kensington Management Group at the Cayman Captive Forum at the end of last year. Donna and Erin discuss how the two companies work closely together and the different roles and responsibilities they have. Donna begins by telling us a bit about her background in captives. Sure. I've been with our company for 18 years, but previous to that, I started my career in the insurance industry as an auditor at Deloitte right out of college in Oklahoma City. So my first job out of school was with Deloitte as an audit um, staff person, and I audited insurance companies, and one of the companies had captives both in Cayman and Barbados, so that's where the, the first time I learned about captives. And then two years into my, or two or three years into my role at Deloitte, they needed 10 people to go down to Cayman for an 18-month assignment, and I decided to take them up on that offer and loved it so much, I stayed for six and a half years so I've seen a little bit of every side of captives I audited them and then I got tired of the audit world and joined Kensington as an insurance manager so I've helped you know run the day-to-day -day activities of a captive and now I'm up at captive resources as a consultant where I for my first 10 years there I served as the vice president of finance where I would go to board meetings and present financial statements and then I've been the CFO of our company now since 2015. Awesome, and Erin, it's great to have you and Kensington on the Global Captive podcast as well for the first time, I believe. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and role at Kensington? Absolutely, and thank you for having me. I moved to Grand Cayman uh, back in 1999 as a fledgling CPA, fresh out of my articling. Um, I did two years at PwC here on the island um, in the insurance practice, and that's where I've got my first exposure to captive insurance. Um, I then joined Kensington in 2001 
uh, as a captive manager and over the years have worn a variety of hats. Um, and then recently, January 1st of 2021, uh, became the president of Kensington. Uh, my focus now as president is, is overseeing um, our group of 47 uh, colleagues, uh, all the captives under our management, as well as the strategic direction for, for Kensington as a whole. Amazing. And just, just on that as well, what is the profile of Kensington as a captive manager and what types of captives do you also manage here? So we've grown over the years to, uh, to a team of 47 now. Uh, we manage 44 um, captives, uh, the majority of which are member-owned group captives to which captive resources also consults too, so we work uh, in a partnership on those. Um, our client base has grown significantly um, in the past several years, um, both in terms of uh, new formations for captives as well as organic growth uh, within our group captives. Um, as of today, we have surpassed uh, 6,000 member companies that are part of our group captives, um, and that number is literally growing each day. And Donna, I think it's always important to note that captive resources are consultants, so they leave the day-to-day -day management of captives themselves to Kensington here in Cayman. Can you talk us through the CRI role in, in kind of working with clients and brokers and building and supporting group captives? Sure. We work with over a thousand broker offices across the United States. And, you know, it's something that our broker network is amazing. They've been very supportive of captives over the 40 years that we've been doing this. So they work to bring us best in class members. And if we don't have a captive that fits their needs, we will start a new captive, which happens from time to time. And same with our client base you know it's a very mixed group across the United States manufacturing trucking all kinds of industries and what we do is help them find a captive we help them become a better company through risk control services we have risk control workshops for them and then you know we we help them become better most of the time they they grow their own company but yet their premiums become less because they have learned to become a safer company understood and and Erin, what are the day-to-day -day tasks involved with managing large owned group captives? So I imagine there's probably quite quite a few. Right, our day-to-day -day role as captive manager encompasses everything from incorporating and licensing new captives uh, through to financial statement preparation and cash management type activities for existing captives. But as you can imagine, with such large member-owned uh, group captives under our management, we spend considerable time ensuring regulatory compliance as well as working on all the different due diligence aspects um, that go along with having so many shareholders and directors. Uh, we pride ourselves on providing much more than just basic accounting services and really focusing on uh, providing top-notch service to our members and really focusing on adding value to their businesses. That makes sense. And uh, Donna, how hands-on is captive resources with group captives once they are, are like kind of finally up, up and running and what, what is your main focus? I would say we are very hands-on, you know, before they join the captive and then once they join the captive onboarding. And when I mean onboarding, it's through various services. Is, you know, we are the consultants. We work with the vendors for, you know, the fronting companies, the brokers, the TPAs, the third-party um, administrators of claims. So we work to make sure that the clients are getting the top-notch service that they um, need and deserve. And, and just a question for the both of you now. Uh, what, what interaction is required between your two organizations to kind of ensure the successful operation of group captives? 
I'd say we have a very collaborative relationship. Aaron and I used to work together down at Kensington. And besides myself, we have two other employees up at Captive Resources who had the, the same experience that I did. They started at Kensington as an insurance manager, and now they work in our finance department at Captive Resources. So bringing that type of you know expertise from Kensington up to our company, I think, has been really invaluable as we continue to you know work on making improvements and and really streamlining things so I think the fact that our, our two companies are really very in tune and very focused on the on the member-owned group captive space um, as well as the collaborative approach that Donna spoke about between our two companies I think that is giving a really unique advantage to our our captive clients and our members um, where both of our companies are really uh, focused on providing you know best-in-class service and and really trying to improve the businesses for our captive clients um, and I think that that's providing a unique advantage for any members that join one of our captive programs yeah just one thing I wanted to add there we Aaron and I both have made a very um, concentrated effort to make sure that we're hiring people that have a lot of skills and very tenured people that came from other accounting firms or insurance companies that provide a lot of captive expertise for example we have three tax designated people now that work for us in our finance department we've had you know a couple senior managers come from the accounting firm so we've really made sure that we're bringing you know best in class employees to help service our clients So just to finish off then, uh, Nick, uh, it was very exciting hearing about that growth and those new hires coming on you have planned this year. In terms of kind of new trends or topics concerning uh, group captives, you and I were talking just kind of off air, so to speak, before this about kind of new sectors, the renewable worlds. Are there kind of new topics concerning you that you you think will will be interesting in, in in the next year? I do. So some of them have to do with, I mean, We've done some things over the last four or five years that have, I think, changed the experience for our members. We can do commutations now, right? We, we couldn't do that for a while. We did internal tail funds, but with our growth and the size, we've done a lot of commutations where we moved liabilities off of our captives financial spreadsheets and, and moved it to a third party. Um, excess issues, we're working hard on trying to figure out a a product to handle the excess issues that our members are having right now. Medical stop loss, we talked about that. You know, we think medical stop loss is gonna be a huge area of growth. We went from having three employees to, I think we're, we're 30 or 35 employees now on the medical stop loss side. And we are, we're gonna get, we're gonna be big in that space. Uh, We started a new program called Olympus for, pro, for accounts, individual accounts that pay seven million, five, six, seven million and more. Our largest individual account in one of our group captives pays over $35 million. So there is that debate of single parent versus group. We've built a group captive Olympus, which we think can actually do a better job for large accounts than a single parent can. So that's important. We're also looking at a program for smaller accounts, which may not need the same kind of collateral buildup that that we have in our normal captives. So there are a lot of things that we're looking at, you know, in the near future. And there's some bigger things that we're looking at um, out down the next five years. 
that's really interesting, Nick, particularly regarding those larger accounts. As you know, obviously, that's an area, the single parent captive area is an area that we talk a lot about on, on the Global Captive podcast and within captive intelligence. And one of the trends we're seeing in Europe, and we know that obviously group captives in, in a way that captive resources do them just have never taken off particularly in Europe. A lot of people have tried, I think. But we are seeing, uh, because of the hard market, more mutuals. And we've just seen uh, a, a large cyber mutual be set up in, in Brussels for a handful, or more than a handful, I think 10 or so large European corporates You know, entering a mutual. They've all got their own single parent captives, but they've set up Miris, which is purely a, a mutual for cyber risk. And they obviously have taken the decision that they would be better off sharing that risk in a mutual or group captive type structure rather than using their single parent captive. So I, I do think, Nick, that we're starting to see a greater application of group captive slash mutuals. I know there's a slight difference there, isn't there, in terms of how they're structured. And that's maybe a podcast for another day. We could debate that. But I'm, I'm hopeful, Nick, we might start seeing some of this take off in Europe a little bit more. Well, and I think that makes all the sense in the world to me, Richard. I, you know, the, the, I think the reason that it may not have worked for bigger members in the past was when you go into one of our group captives, you know, you're using a single TPA for the entire group or an, an individual fronting carrier, the same fronting carrier. With Olympus, we're able to, to make it so it works better for each individual account. They can, they can hire their own TPA. We've got a couple different fronting carriers that we use. We can tailor it more for that specific company, yet they still get the benefits of risk sharing and shifting, which protects them if they have an issue in any given year. So we went from two years ago, we had zero clients and zero premium. We have over $75 million in, in Olympus now. Now, having said that, the reason we stick to the US is workers comp is our key line, right? Work comp is about 70% yeah. of our total premium. That is a, obviously a different situation in Europe. So th there is a big difference between the US and Europe in that case. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it's probably one that I probably should write a feature on. Because I, when I was at Captive Review many years ago, uh, I did write a, a feature on the topic of why haven't we seen group captives take off uh, in Europe? And I still think we're not particularly going to see group captives take off in Europe, but there might be a slightly different landscape to discuss and assess there. And obviously, we'd love to uh, get some of the thoughts of Captive Resources on that topic at some point in the future as well. Just to finish though, Nick, and I look, I know you're always bullish about the growth and we We've heard a lot of the reasons, the good reasons why you are bullish. How, how do you see 2023 shaping up with regards to your own group captive activity? I'm, I'm thinking specifically about kind of the external factors. I, I don't think this commercial hard market is really going away. Uh, there's, there's, there's some softening in some parts of it, but there's certainly some yeah, continued hard parts of it as well. So how do you see it shaping up? So obviously, auto is, continues to be hard. Property continues to be hard. GL... I would say that's fairly stable. Comp is soft right now, continues to be soft. We keep thinking it's going to change and it, it hasn't. And for, for a reason, the losses continue to come down. So we're having to deal with that, which is fine. That's actually a good thing for the insurance buyer. So we think um, there is just tremendous opportunity for this space going forward. And I'm gonna give you a couple examples and numbers. On the casualty side, we think there's 55 to 60,000 prospective clients that would fit a group captive, a casually group captive, either heterogeneous or homogeneous. 
Uh, we write about 6,000 of those. Um, our, you know, our competitors write another amount, but there is tremendous headroom still, uh, you know, for us to grow dramatically over the next 10 years for sure. On the medical stop loss side, um, we think there's 175,000 potential clients um, that would be work with a medical stop loss program. You know, we we have just started in that. In total, maybe 3,000 companies have gone into medical stop loss. So that is, in in my the way I say it, that's the wild west right now. There is a lot of opportunity in medical stop loss. So what do we think for 2023? We wrote about 55 million in new premium, new brand new premium in January. We think we'll grow by 550 to 600 million in 2023. You know, our projection, we're about 3.6 billion right now uh, at the end of 2022. We think by 2026, we'll be somewhere close to six and a half billion dollars. So, you know, uh, if you can't tell, I'm pretty bullish on on the marketplace <laughs> and where we sit within the marketplace. Well, Nick, it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you, particularly uh, to, to get those kind of projections and to hear, you know, how healthy the group capture space and obviously CRI is in particular. So, Nick, uh, always a pleasure, and thank you for coming on to the Global Captive Podcast. Hey, Richard, looking forward to seeing you at the Seeker Conference. Yeah, absolutely. I'll see you there. All right, take care. Mm-hmm.